Um, hey, name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. If you're a guest with us, we're thrilled to have you. We're going to let you know that we're a church that is simply all about Jesus. We strive to know him, to follow him, and to do all that we can to take our next steps of faith um, in doing what he says. Um, I'm really excited for the season that we're in. In fact, last week, there were some folks that were asking, like, you know, why are we talking about money, let's say, during uh, December, because December is Christmas and it's Advent. In fact, today is the beginning, right? It's December 1st. But I, I'm of the opinion, I'm going, what better time to talk about generosity than the season of Christmas? Like the heartbeat of our two holidays that like kind of form the life of the church is Christmas and Easter, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Both reflect the generous heart of our God. And so this is a season where we get to think about generosity, not just receive all the things, right? Because it's going to be a season of receiving, but it also has to be a season of giving. And so we want to kind of celebrate that and encourage one another to pursue generosity. So what we're doing as a church, and I'm really excited about this, and I'm I'm thrilled um, that we're able to do this. We took a portion of our benevolence fund, and we bought um, 500 gift cards. 200 gift cards are available Today, 300 more will be available next Sunday. And here's the idea. Every gift card, there's $50 on that card. And if you've seen before, we have these little compassion cards that says God loves you. Like here's a little thing to show you that God loves you. We encourage folks, if you're out to eat, leave a generous tip, leave that there. If you're in a drive-thru at Starbucks or whatever coffee shop you're at, buy the person's you know, coffee behind you and, and put the card there type of thing. Um, and so we want to encourage you. So here's what we want you to do. Take one of those cards... They're going to be a $50 gift card from HEB, Target, or Walmart. We want to encourage you to consider matching up to $50. So you'll be giving anywhere between $50 to $100, okay? And then just to pray and ask, Lord, who is it in my life that is in need of compassion or generosity, okay? It could be your neighbor. It could be a sibling. It could be a family member. It could be that mom that has like 60 kids around her in the checkout line at Target or HEB that you're like, she just needs some love, right? Give her that card. It could be someone on the street that needs that. And so we want to encourage you to do that. So grab one of those gift cards, grab one of those God loves you cards, take one of them and just pray and just share the love of Christ in a very practical way. Okay, now I know this goes without saying, right? But I feel obligated to say this. These cards aren't for you to use, okay? Like, and all jokes aside, like, if, if you are in a position where you're like, I actually could use that, like, we have a benevolence ministry. Come talk to me, to Pastor Don, to Chad, or Nima. We would love to come alongside of you and support you that way, okay? We want to encourage you, grab one of those gift cards. Let's bless the city of Austin just with a real practical gift of generosity and compassion. And if you so feel bold and courageous enough, pray with those people, okay? Invite them to church, this Christmas, okay? Use as an opportunity to share the love of Christ. So we're in this series called Respect the Beard, and the whole idea is wisdom. We're looking at how to bridge the gap between our head to our body, not just like walking around going, this is what we know to be true, but going, we're going to apply what we know to be true. And so I thought it'd be fun to do kind of a, a beard of the week challenge. And I'll tell you this, like I, I'm getting way, and I can keep bringing them though, but I've gotten a lot, a lot of pictures this past week to kind of like siphon through to go who's going to win. And so I have a lot that is still in inventory that might show up next week for the winner. Now, um, disclaimer, I forgot the name of the winner and who submitted it. So if it's you, 
um, come collect your prize, okay? Like, I don't know what it is. So I want to show you some runners up for this week, okay? For a Beer of the Week challenge. Here we go. Um, this is Molly Martin. She thought she'd be funny and submit this picture. She didn't win, obviously. Now, some folks ought to be really cute to submit um, pictures of this kind, and, and they're, they're disqualified immediately because they're not of the, the human species. And so even though it's cute, it doesn't count, okay? Now, the next two beards are really, really good. I, I, I couldn't allow this next one to win because, it, quite frankly, when I saw the picture, it terrified me. But it's a really sweet beard nonetheless, okay? So I saw that, I was like, ah! I used to be terrified of aliens as a kid, okay? That's a long story. But like, I was like, I can't, I don't know. But here, this beard, the beard I'm going to show you, deserves a round of applause, okay? Like, this is a beard that I am envious of. If I could grow a beard like this, I would keep this beard for the rest of my life, to my wife's dismay. This is the winner. Man! Like, that is, that's an awesome beard, okay? So if you submitted that, come find me. I want to give you the gift card, okay? So we're in this series called Respect the Beard. And we're using that phrase to be talking about closing the gap from what we know to be true, what we know to be right, and to living that out, okay? In ancient Israel, the beard was a sign of symbol. It was seen as the gap that was built between the head and the body. And as we are going through the book of Proverbs, we're going to study it. We're going to encourage you as a church to go through all the Proverbs for the next 31 days. We got devotionals for you. You can follow along on the YouVersion devotional app, or you can just grab one of the devotionals out there at the Connect Centers to follow along. Um, and so I completely just blanked what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, Proverbs is a book that was written by Solomon, who is the wisest and wealthiest person um, that was ever, whoever has lived. Um, if we were to take his dollar amount in today's standards, he would be considered a trillionaire. He could pay off our national debt and still have margin to live. Like, that's how wealthy he was. And so we're coming with this idea of just going, listen, if he's the wisest person and the wealthiest person that has ever lived, it should do us well to learn how to manage our finances from his perspective, which is ultimately from God's perspective, okay? Proverbs gives us wisdom in every area of life, from our marriage, relationships, work ethic, how we talk, our conduct, everything. But here on Sunday, we're said we're going to talk about money. And last week, we discovered that there's three characters that show up in the book of Proverbs. There's the wise, the foolish, and the simple. And as a quick reminder, the wise are the ones who respect the beard, as it were, right? They're the ones who know the right thing to do, and then they do the right thing. Now, the foolish are the ones who know the right thing, but choose to not do the right thing. They choose that their way is better. They choose their own wisdom. They don't acknowledge the Lord in it. Even though they know what's right and what's wrong, they still choose to go their own way. Now, the simple are the ones who simply don't think, right? They're the ones who don't consider their decisions and actions and how they have consequences, they're oftentimes referred to the youth, but we know that the adults can oftentimes be simple as well. And so last week we were starting to talk about this and going, okay, where does money play in? And we'd said that we got to understand a certain principle about money before we can understand Proverbs. And it was one of the principles we said was money is neutral, right? Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. It just is. That's, it's money, right? Like money can be used for great good, and it can also be used for great evil. We saw in the Bible that there's the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. We saw that there's the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. So we understood that money is just simply neutral. 
Now, this morning, I need you to understand another principle in order for us to fully appreciate what Solomon's going to teach us, and it's simply this. God isn't trying to get anything from you. God wants to bless you. Okay? You've got to understand this. This is a basic premise to knowing God. God is a good God. He's a good Father. He loves to bestow good gifts, good things to His children. Right? But a lot of times we go, well, God's got all of these commands and these precepts and these ways of living. He's just trying to make my life miserable. He's trying to like, snuff out all the fun. He's trying to put me in a box and all this kind of stuff. He's a killjoy. And, da, 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 da. and we start to think this. It's like, no, he doesn't, he's not trying to get anything from you. Specifically when we talk in the realm of money, he doesn't need your money. He, he, he doesn't need it. He wants what's connected to your money, which is oftentimes your heart. So he doesn't want anything from you, but he does want your heart. And that's what he will go after. He wants to bless you. Okay? We struggle with this. Because a lot of times we look at our failures, we look at our shortcomings, and oftentimes we often like, relate to God how we treat other people. And sometimes we don't treat other people real kindly. And so we're like, well, why would God want to bless me? Like, it's hard for us to believe that God has good in mind, good intended for you. That's his heart. Now, here's why I say this, okay? We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3. And in Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to see this principle playing out. We're going to talk about some other important principles, but we're going to see the two most popular Proverbs show up and how they're connected to wealth, okay? So collectively as a church, I want you to do something with me because we're going to talk about money today, okay? We're going to talk about giving today. So like, I, I want to encourage you to embrace it. And if you're like, man, I was just checking out this church. Like, great, I knew it. They just want my money. Welcome to Austin Oaks Church, right? We believe in generosity. We believe in allowing God to speak into ours. We believe in fearing the Lord and letting him speak his truth into areas where we may not feel comfortable with because he's God and we're not. He's the one who's all wise. We are not, okay? So before we get into this passage, let's collectively do some breathing here, okay? So let's take a deep breath. Let's inhale and exhale. Okay, good. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. Look at the posture that Solomon is writing. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Okay, he's saying, he's like, guard my commandments with all vigilance. Keep it close to you. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your necks. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Look at this posture. It's a father speaking to his son. It's God speaking to his children. Son, daughter, do not let go of my commands. Listen to the guidance I'm going to give you. Listen to the counsel I'm going to give you because I want to bless you. Like, that's the heart. He's like, listen, I'm giving you instruction. I'm giving you wisdom because my desire is for you to walk and live a life of peace and prosperity, right? Look at this. We're going to see this over and over and over in Proverbs that there's always a premise to a promise. 
in order to receive the blessing, there's something that we have to do. There's some sort of condition applied to it, and it involves obedience. He doesn't want something from you. He wants to bless you. He's not just giving you commands and saying, do this and don't do this and this. He's going, listen, I'm telling you the best thing there is so that I can bless you. He gives us counsel, and that counsel is loaded with incentives, okay? Keep the commandments close to your heart. Let love and let steadfast love and faithfulness be around you. Don't lose sight of them. Why? For long life and years and peace. Peace is the blessing. Long life and many years without peace is not a blessing. Peace is the blessing. And the Hebrew word there for peace is shalom. Wholeness. Rest, worry-free, dependent. And in that posture of peace, you find who you truly are. That's the promise. Say, I want you to have peace, but you've got to keep my commands close by. I want you to find success. I want you to have favor, not just with me, but with other people. So keep steadfast love and faithfulness close by. Keep them close to you. There are so many blessings that God gives us. And we struggle with this. Because we think that everything God gives us, all of his commands and all of his precepts, is meant to just strip us and rob us of joy. It's just like parenting folks, right? Like we do to our kids, like, son, son. Don't do that because if you do, you're going to be in timeout and that's not fun, right? Like we want to give instruction and guidance and counsel to our kids so that they can live a good life. And a lot of times, right, as kids, we go, what does mom or dad know? We don't ever do that with God, right? That's just kids. It's the same posture. Because now look what follows. Look what follows now. The two most famous Proverbs that we have, verse 5 and 6. And when I get to the word all, okay, I want you to say it with me. Okay? Participation this morning. Trust in the Lord with your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You got the counsel, you have the guidance, and the incentive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't do it. Don't don't think you're wise in your own ways. Don't think you know what's best. Don't do it. Acknowledge all your ways. Like, acknowledge me in all your ways. The promise, he will make straight your paths. Folks, listen, you're on a path. In fact, you cannot not be on a path. Your marriage is on a path. Your career is on a path. Your conduct is on a path. Your thought life is on a path. Your finances is on a path. And the question is, is what path is it on? Everything is on a path. You're heading somewhere. The reality is you're not standing still. And here's the promise. He's like, listen, like, trust me with all. Like, I have this problem. When I see these verses, I immediately feel like a failure. 
Well, I failed that one again. Trust the Lord with all. I can't do that. Acknowledge me in all. (sighs) Right? I start to feel really defeated. And then I studied this Hebrew word trust a little bit, and I found out that there's a really beautiful um, thought that's attached to it, okay? And it's this concept of laying completely prostrate before one in authority or in honor. You're like just laying down, arms spread out, complete reliance, everything is on him. And I was like, man. And then this thought came in my head. I was like, it's a lot like playing poker. Now, I'm not advocating poker, okay? Just saying, because some people get weird about that. But, you know, you don't play poker for real money. You just play it for fun with chips, right? So, <laughs> to the point, okay? You ever have those moments, if you ever play poker, you're just like, I got this. I got this hand. I don't know what's going to come, right? And you, all of a sudden you just go, I'm all in. That's the idea with trusting the Lord with all your heart and acknowledging him in all your ways. Whatever area it is, whatever path it is, whatever aspect of your life, you are saying, God, I'm all in. And you're leaving it all on him. There is no contingency plan. There is no plan B. There is no plan C. There is no backing out. There's no... I'm all in, but I'm going to keep this part right here in case if you fail me, God, I got this. That's not what he's saying. It's like, just you go all in. You've got to trust me. And if it doesn't work out, like, like it's like God saying, it's like, listen, I'm steadfast. My love is faithful. I'm, I'm with you. I will never fail you. You've got to go all in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because you are on a path. And when we lean on our understanding, do you know what we do? We create shortcuts. I, I, I think that I have this like um, flawless internal compass. Like I love hiking, and I always think I know where north, south, east, and west is. Like I just know. And so one of the things I love to do when I'm hiking is I keep my phone and everything in the car and just kind of do my own thing and try to find my own way. And when you get to these parks and they show you the signs and like, this path is here, you know, the green path is 2.5 miles and you can take the orange path and and somehow they all connect. And one time I remember I I took this path and it was really long and I was like, okay, it's getting a little boring. I was like, listen, I know where north is and I know where this this is and I'm just going to go adventurous and do my own thing. And I took this shortcut thinking I would cut my time in half, get back in time and have some fun in, in, in the process. And the reality is I got completely lost. I mean, so lost, it took hours for me to finally find the path again. That's what happens when you lean on your own understanding. You start to take shortcuts. And when you start to take shortcuts, you're not going all in. You're withholding some aspects. And God wants to make straight your paths. The blessing or the incentive that comes with this is simply this, is that God's path protects. He's a father. He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you from harm and making you kind of like wander off in this season of life over here and doing your own things and going, oh my goodness, now I have to suffer the consequences of being a fool. God's path protects. He will make straight your paths. He doesn't give us these commands and precepts to ruin our lives. He does it to bless us. He wants to protect us. Now look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Question. Here's a survey. Raise of hands. How many of you think you are wise? 
Now, that's a kind of a trick question, you know. How many of you think we're wise in our own eyes, right? Okay, next week we're talking about lying. Just, we, need to do, we need to deal with that first because that's always the first step to recovery, right? It's like we, we, all, we all do. Let's just be honest. We all lean on our own understanding. A lot of times, we don't want to be told, and that's why we talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is hard because the fear of the Lord means I am realizing that I don't know everything and you do and I'm going to do what you say because I don't know. It's a posture of a child to its parents. It's a respect posture. That's why it says, you know, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil, which is another word for repent. Turn from evil, repent. Get back on the right path. Like what grace. I mean, we got to understand something. Like reason why we live sometimes foolish lives and suffer the consequences of our decisions is because we think we know shortcuts. We think we know the best way to take. We think we're wise. We think we figured it out. We don't need advice. We don't need people to know. We don't need counsel or guidance. And let's just be honest. When we take shortcuts and we take things and matters in our own hands and we think we're wise and we think we know what's right, does that not cause stress? Does that not lead to a life of worry and anxiousness? Because where does stress, worry, and anxiousness come from? The unknown of what's going to happen. Because we don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know all eventualities, we start to try to take control of it. And when we do that, we go, I know what's right. I'm going to control this. I know the right path to take. I know what's wise. And that just produces stress and frustration and worry. And that causes all other sorts of issues. Look at the promise that comes from this guidance, uh, from, from this counsel. Verse 8. If you fear the Lord and turn away from evil, look at verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. My son, keep my commands close by. Go all in. Trust me with everything. Trust you, my, your heart with me. Acknowledge me in all your ways. I will make straight your path. And if you're off the path, just start to fear me again, okay? Respect me, honor me. Put yourself in a position, in, in, you know, in submission to me and get back on the right path. And when you do, it's gonna bring healing to your bones and refreshment to your soul, right? It's like, it's talking about you're gonna start to discover and experience shalom, peace. Two of the major reasons why Americans are unhealthy according to a study that I read this week. One is bad eating habits, which we know nothing about after Thanksgiving, right? We don't know. Second one is stress. And like we said, stress comes from the fear of unknown where we try to take matters into our own hands and all these types of things. He's offering peace, healing, refreshment inside. So where does money come in? Look at the verse right after this. This is all connected. Church, you have to see this. This is all connected. It's as if Solomon is saying, the first place to start with trusting the Lord with all your heart is right here with your money. Honor the Lord with your wealth. How many of you stress over money? Okay, next week we're talking about lying. Thoughts, 
decision, like how many times has money caused you to sin? Have you ever coveted what other people had? You ever find yourself not thankful for what you do have? Wishing you had something else? Feeling ungrateful? I mean, the list goes on. Uh, for those who are married, you ever get in an argument with your spouse over money? We're talking about lying next week. Come on. Okay, here's a fun question. How many of you love money? <laughs> you know what we're talking about next week, right? Listen. Something very profound. You may love money, but money doesn't love you. Money is not loyal to you, as you know. You might have just gotten it, and it's gone. <laughs> like, where did it go? Money doesn't love you. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't even think about you. Money will walk right out the door whenever it so pleases. Why do we put so much trust and love and devotion and affection and thought and time to money. Like, 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 honestly, it will just leave you, right? Like if you put your trust in anything else besides God, the other thing, everything else in this world materializes. It doesn't love you. It will leave you at any time, any moment. That's stressful, right? Like think about this. Your job doesn't love you. Your wealth doesn't love you. Um, your Roth IRA doesn't love you. Your retirement account doesn't love you. Your stock portfolio doesn't love you. Wells Fargo doesn't love you. Um, I could go on and on and on. It, it, they don't care. Honor the Lord with your wealth. His path protects, his path brings peace. And what we're going to see is that his path provides plenty. But I need you to understand this. I wish I had this point written down, but I don't, so I'm going to say it a few times because I, I want you to grab hold of this. If you, will not, if you will not trust God with your money, I guarantee you, I guarantee you there are other things in your life that you will not trust God with. If you will not trust God with your money, I guarantee you there are other things in your life that you will not place underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, the opposite is also true. If you do trust the Lord with your money, the more likely you are to place everything else underneath the Lordship of Jesus. Here's why. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is probably the most formative teaching that Jesus gave us as to what it looks like to be a disciple in the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 6, he started teaching about money. He says, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about that. Right? The pagans run after these things. Don't worry about that. God will take care of it, like the lilies and the sparrows. Like, and you're worth more than many sparrows. And then he goes on and he says, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and despise the other, but you can't serve two. And if I were to hit the pause button right now, and if you're not familiar with the story, more than likely, if we were to go, what are the two masters? It's God and what? What would we place in the what? 
I guarantee you it wouldn't be what Jesus said. We would just think real logically, right? If God is good and if God is the personification of light and wisdom, then obviously we can't serve God and evil. We can't serve light and dark. Like we would think probably more in those terms. But what Jesus said was a shock to his audience. And it still should be a shock to us today as it should reveal some things about how money affects our hearts. He goes, you cannot serve God and money. You can't. Why does God say this? He's not trying to bum you out. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He wants to bless you. He wants you to live a free and an abundant life that is happy and generous and full of joy. Not trouble-free, but one that is soon, like, just carries the shalom. Listen, you will never be more happy than when you resemble Jesus. Like, you will be the happiest when you live and reflect Jesus. And the, best, and the, the most obvious way that Jesus lived was by what he gave. Gospel of the world that he gave. For unto us a son is given. He became poor so that we could become rich. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. There's no greater competition in your life than money. There's no other thing in our lives that produces more idols than money. There's no other thing in this world that produces as many shortcuts as money. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Look at the incentive. Look at the promise. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here's where we start to struggle with this. Remember when I said that God wants to bless us? We, we, we struggle with thinking through a healthy biblical paradigm of money because of some of the prevailing schools of theology that's out there that isn't right or biblical. Okay? For instance, there's a poverty theology that teaches that money is evil and being rich is ungodly, so therefore being poor is, is godly and, and right. That's, that's not true. We, we know that to not be true. We see that in the Bible. We've got the righteous poor, the unrighteous poor, the righteous uh, wealthy and the unrighteous wealthy. Then there's the prosperity gospel that says, if you sow a seed of faith, yeah, if you give $100 today, God will bless you tenfold back. Folks, that's rubbish. That is the most church word I'm going to use. It teaches that God is obligated to give us monetarily back. He's obligated to give us apples for apples and then some. Folks, for, for a lot of reasons, I wish I had all day to talk about this, but for a few simple reasons why this is wrong. One, God is not obligated to do anything. He's not obligated to give you money at all. He's not obligated to let you breathe. But, but God is gracious and good that he, he gives us these things. Like, he's not obligated to 
give us back tenfold. Like, that's not good. And, and, it, and it teaches a faulty faith that does not produce love of God, right? Like, if you don't receive the tenfold back, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. You don't have enough faith. And if you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. You've got to have faith. Right? No, that's not it. Paul teaches in Philippians, right? I've had plenty and I've had little. I've learned a secret of being content in all circumstances, you know, in, in wealth and in poverty. I can do all things through Christ's strength. But poverty gospel doesn't have that. Poverty gospel doesn't grow a love for God unless God gives you what you want back. That's not biblical. What we see in the Bible is a generosity theology or a stewardship theology that teaches God is the owner of everything. God owns everything. Your money, he owns the very breath you're breathing. It's a stewardship. The fact that you're breathing says God's like, I'm letting you manage that breath. What are you doing with your life? Everything you have. A lot of times we think, I earned this money, so therefore it's mine. But what we're going to discover next week is when we talk about how to build wealth, we're going to see that God gives you the ability to build wealth. So yeah, you might earn that money, but he gave you the ability to earn that money. It's all a stewardship thing. And it all centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ that he gave. When we, when we celebrate communion, it's a gospel thing. He gave his body. He shed his blood. He gave it for you. He became poor so that you could become rich. And so we want to give back to honor him. And so when we read a verse like this, you're like, well, it talks about coming, getting things back in abundance. Yes, sometimes, sometimes God will bless you financially like that. But this is, the, the Jews understood this as a stewardship principle that says this, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you are willing to honor the Lord with your wealth right now, he can trust you to honor him with more. Which means, as we're going to see in a little bit, that our giving is percentage. So if he gives us more wealth, that percentage will grow and we will honor him even more with that wealth. That's what it means. If we're not willing to honor the Lord with our wealth, like it's going to be hard for him to trust us with more. It's a stewardship thing. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's about how we live and embrace this life of peace. His path protects, it brings peace, and it provides plenty. So now what I want to do for the time that we have left is I want to teach you a biblical model of giving, okay? So I know right here, this is where some thoughts go, I knew it, I knew it, that he was going to do a little bait and switch, and I knew sooner or later he was going to ask for money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, no, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're trying to become more like Jesus. And you're going to see this in what I'm going to share with you. And so I'm going to pull out some Baptist stuff here, and we're going to call this the 3P plan. It's Baptist because we have the same letter for all points. Okay? So that's, that's why. So I want to teach you how to honor God with your wealth. And it doesn't matter how much you have. Okay? It, it doesn't matter how much you make. And what you're going to see is it has nothing to do with the amount of money that you give. Honoring the Lord with your wealth, first and foremost means this, he's a priority. Not is a priority, he is the priority. With the first fruits of all your produce, whatever income you get, he is honored first. 
In other words, when it says, honor the Lord from your, uh, from your wealth, or with your wealth, the Hebrew actually says, from your wealth. Total difference. When it says, with your wealth, you can go, well, I bought an economical-sized house. I bought a 2,000-square-foot home instead of a 4,000-square-foot home, so I honored the Lord with my wealth. That's not what this proverb is saying. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth. That means if you're going to honor him with your wealth, that means he gets the first cut, the first fruits, the very best. That's how we honor him with our wealth. And the second thing that we see is it's percentage giving. The Bible over and over and over and over and over and over and over always teaches percentage giving. It doesn't teach a dollar amount. Percentage giving is more reflective of the heart than a dollar amount, okay? Like, this is where the word tithe comes from. The word tithe is a percentage word. It just means tenth or ten percent, which is a good benchmark, okay? And so the reason why I say this is because sometimes we can convince ourselves that we're being generous when we just give like a little bit of money. Like, oh, I gave $50 to this. I'm so generous. But yet there is no real percentage of the giving. There's real no like progressive scale that, that's there. So let's just say you make $200,000 or, yeah, $200,000 a year, you know, which would be amazing. You know, if you just make that, like, and all you do is give $50 a year, that's not being generous, Jesus honors and he elevates percentage giving. Like, let me show you this. In Mark chapter 12, when the widow is giving her mites, and there's a story there that Jesus is teaching his disciples as the Pharisees are bringing the money and they're dropping the money in these boxes. Someone gave 100,000 denarii or whatever it is, and they're all like, oh, woo, look at that guy. Look at what he's giving. Look at what he's giving. And then this widow, this poor widow comes and she puts in a mite, which is worth less than a penny. And Jesus goes, she gave all. Like, we go, our rational minds, our logical business minds go, well, how much kingdom influence could half a penny do? $100,000, that could do a lot of bang. There's a lot of return on it. Jesus doesn't care about the amount. He doesn't care. He cares about the heart. He goes, she gave more because she gave all. So a lot of times we've got to wrestle with this. Like, what does it mean to give the first fruits? And I do believe, I believe strongly that the scriptures teach that the tithe should be given to the local church. Because the local church is the vehicle that Jesus chose to build his kingdom through. Yes, other missionaries and ministries are important. I'm not saying that they're not important. But we should be giving the majority of our tithe to the local church. Now, I want to say this. If I get in the way, if I get in the way of you honoring the Lord with your wealth, Give to another church that loves Jesus. I'm serious. Because I don't want you to miss out on how God could bless you. If you're going, oh, he's teaching on it. He wants my money. I was like, Listen, give to another church. God will take care of us. Keep coming here. Keep being fed here. Keep growing here. Absolutely. Okay? But these are principles that the Lord has given us. And the third P, which is really important, is progressive. 
is progressive giving. We should always be taking our next step in generosity. We should be always growing in our giving, okay? And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul's teaching here says, As you excel in everything in faith, speech, and knowledge, in all earnestness and for love, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And this act of grace in this context was in giving. We are to be progressive in our giving. So listen, I am aware of the statistics in church giving. The, the, the average church goer, like 30% of the people in America who go to church give. Like that's kind of sad. It really is sad. And out of those 30% of the people who give, the majority of uh, the, the, num- the percent of the tithe is only like 2%. And I just go, man, what if the church got to a spot where the people who belong to the church gave 10%? Like, what kingdom difference could we do? How could we honor the Lord with that wealth? How many churches could we plant? How many things could we do? Right, like, that, that's amazing. But if you're at a spot where you're like, I'm just, I don't, I don't even give. Listen, Proverbs is going to teach us. It's not about the amount. Proverbs teaches, get on the path. If you're at 0%, get on the path. Go one. If you're at 4%, give five. And some of you have been faithfully giving 10%, and I thank you for that. But you haven't said, you haven't grown, you haven't gone above and beyond that. I want to challenge you. Lord, is it time for us to be progressive and move to 11, 12%? And the reason why I'm stressing this isn't be, listen, isn't because we're in need. Isn't because our giving isn't as dip and we're in crisis mode. Nope. It's all because, I wish I had time and I could draw this out. It's all because you become more like Jesus when you grow in your serving and in your giving. You keep moving in that direction. So, in your bulletin, you all got this card. Okay, I want you to take it out. And yes, this is, the, I'm not kidding, I want you to wave it at me. Which means I, I am now waking you up. <laughs> okay, let me know you got it. Okay. My challenge for us as a church is that you would walk out of here going, I want to respect the beard, I want to honor the Lord. With my wealth, I don't want to be wise in my own eyes. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want to start to trust him here. And you start to understand that it's a heart issue, okay? It's a heart issue. And what I want you to do is just simply work this out, okay? If you're married, work this out with your spouse. If you're single, work this out, okay? What's your annual household income? And I know some of you are are way smarter than me. I I just like simple. I'm a simple thinker. If, like, let's just say you make 50,000 a year, a tithe, a 10%, would be 5,000. Most of us are paid 24, 26 weeks a year. Divide that 5,000 by those weeks, that's how much a 10% giving would be. Again, if that freaks you out, you're like, I am not, I can't, our budget can't handle that. It's not about the amount. Just get on the path, okay? Just get on that path. And I'm going to talk about the resource initiative to the church 
next Sunday, but if you've been part of these family meetings, you know what that is. I want to encourage you to fill this out. Now listen, this sheet is perforated. You don't have to, but you can if you want to. This side is for you. Just use this for you and the Lord. Just go, I'm going to get on a path, and here's what I'm going to do. But this side, if you want, I want to encourage you to fill in your name. What is the percent that you feel the Lord's calling you to do? What's that next step that you're going to do? If it's just giving, moving up 1%, whatever it is, write that down. And if you already know what you're going to do for the recent worship, write that down. And tear it off and put it in the offering when it comes through later. If you want to. Here's what's not going to happen with this. We're not going to look at your giving records. We're not going to like hunt you down. We're not going to cold call you. We're not going to knock on your door. We're not going to do any of that. What I want to do, if you so choose, is I'm going to get these. And what I want to do is I want to pray for each and every one of you by name. That's my commitment to you. I want to pray for you because I want you to experience God's peace in a way that you haven't before. So that's all that is. And you don't have to, okay? Listen, you're not obligated to. You don't have to. But if you want to, I commit to you, I will pray for you, okay? That's what this is for. And so you can bring this back next week and fill it out there. But listen, it's not about the amount. It's simply about getting on the path. So I want to recap as we prepare our hearts for worship and communion. And it's going to be real simple. It's not that God wants anything from you. He wants to bless you. He wants your heart. And again, if I'm in the way of you trusting the Lord with your wealth, please find a gospel-centered church and start giving there. God will take care of us. He became poor so that we can become rich. Go all in. Go all in. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to our heart, to our depths. We thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, in the areas where we struggle, in the areas where we think we are wise, in the areas where we're tempted to go off on our own, to find our own shortcuts. Lord, would you reveal that? Lord, in the areas where we're stressed out, feeling worried or anxious, Lord, would you show us that and give us the grace just to get on the right path, to repent and to fear the Lord. And Lord, I ask that as we think about what it means to honor you with our wealth, Lord, that we would lower our guard and let your spirit speak and not our sin, not our defensiveness, but your heart speak. And Lord, as we set our, um, come around the communion table, may we be reminded of your generous heart. So speak to us now. Minister to our hearts as we sing to you as we spend some time processing and thinking. Lord, would you meet us where we're at? We praise in Jesus' name.